it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are back. Summer's over. White pants. Put them away. It is time to get started and sprint towards the midterms. I'm excited about it. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West in a little while, but you're next. 1-866-408-7669. Of course, I'm going to be in Albany. On Thursday, it's going to be an exciting week, and I'll be coming from a local diner there on Friday, so do TV and radio. Uh, from there, I'll run back to the uh, uh, to the station. Uh, we'll see. Go to BrianKillMe.com. This way I can see you in person uh, at the Egg in Albany. Uh, it's always great to go where a great affiliate is. Uh, we have a lot to go over. Uh, Arizona race is tightening up. In New Hampshire, Republicans should have a candidate soon. In Georgia, Herschel is beginning to surge. And in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz is closing the gap. But everything is so up for grabs, you have to stay here through the entire midterm election season and, dare I say, beyond. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have that uh, uh, laptop uh, in the uh, Department of Justice and FBI for months and months before anybody knows it existed. Uh, that's why total transparency is important. Yeah, that would help. The plot thickens. The soon-to-be-disgraced uh, FBI agent Tim Timbolt was Tony Bobulinski's point man in the spiked hunter laptop story, right? And the big guy, Biden. The international finance scam, which still trying to unwind. Few knew more about President Biden's role than Tony Bobulinski. And even some CNN correspondents are now asking the questions. Number two. That's a potentially explosive ruling if it holds. The Justice Department assumed that Trump only had attorney-client privilege, that he did not have executive privilege. But the problem is it's it's not 100 percent settled. True. And Andy McCarthy surprised. Trump gets his wish. And a special master is named to review what was taken from Mar-a-Lago's home as we learn what the FBI took. That include his medical records, tax information, even rifled through his 16-year-old son's room. Does anyone think that's okay? Number one. The definition of democracy is you accept the will of the people when the votes are honestly counted. These guys don't do it. To this day, MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol, and people died later. Really? Dividing by divider, divider in chief. Remarkable, divisive, angry speeches from... Raging Joe Biden using terms like ultra Trumpies and MAGA to ridicule and divide Republicans. But will it keep his party in power come November? So let's get started. So this is his approach. And the word is starting on Thursday. A lot of people with on his staff said, Mr. President, I'm not sure this is a good approach. Remember on Thursday, he goes to Liberty Hall and he has Marines behind him, which says, OK, it's not going to be political. I thought to myself, it can't be a political speech if the Marines are there. Well, it was pure politics. It was something that should have been said at the Democratic National Convention. It would have been appropriate, perhaps, if you want to be very negative, but not as a president of the United States saying this is a presidential address about saving our soul, which is bizarre. I don't really think we look to a president to save our soul, but unless you're Lincoln and it's the Civil War, I could see it. I don't really see Biden as a Lincoln, although Biden sees Biden as a Lincoln. 
Well, evidently, some people on his staff said, Mr. President, I'm looking at your speech. Don't really, not too sure that really you're going to be effective. Why don't you talk about your accomplishments, what you want to do? Remember, you're the guy who gave the inaugural about coming together, not hating each other. You pretty much hate the president, former president. You never mentioned him up until, for the most part, up until yesterday. And then you mentioned his supporters, people that follow him are extremists and ultra. That's not really true. Now, you could be for President Trump and not for January 6th. You could be for President Trump and say, well, you know, I don't think it's voting machines or anything else. And that's the story. And now when you see how dramatically different your policies are when it comes to the border, when it comes to tax policy, international trade deals, foreign policy, defense spending, of course, what's going on in society and gender and fluidity and uh, what you're teaching kids in school, everything that you agree with, a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And when people agree with President Trump, they want to be called extremists. They're going to turn you off. Worse yet, you could be turning off the party. A lot of people are turning you off. Fetterman's not appearing with you. He did appear once. Uh, Jade, uh, excuse me, uh, Tim Ryan, nowhere to be found. Uh, Shapiro wants to be the lieutenant governor, wants to be the next governor. He wasn't there. So you had the governor of Wisconsin would show up one appearance. But for the most part, your candidates are staying away. Here's a little of the divisiveness. And I'm wondering what he's even thinking. Cut one. Not every Republican is a MAGA Republican. Not every Republican embraces that extreme ideology. I know because I've been able to work with mainstream Republicans my whole career. But the extreme MAGA Republicans in Congress have chosen to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. The biggest contrast from what MAGA Republicans, the extreme right, the, 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 the Trumpies, they want to go to Congress. These MAGA Republicans in Congress are coming for your Social Security as well. No. Uh, have you been to any speech from President Trump, any interview that President Trump has gone and hear him talk about cutting those programs? He never does. So the fact that he never does, does that make him extreme? What Rick Scott said is we should move some of these uh, automatic spending programs. I think he wants to examine it to make sure that they're being uh, worked uh, efficiently because for the most part the the spending's getting out of control. What I have listed what Rick Scott did as a, a party agenda? No. He didn't say I'm gonna get rid of him. He says I want to examine him and find out where the money's being spent. But if if you want to say Donald Trump said that, that's just mistaken. If you want to say that MAGA Republicans are for storming the Capitol, that's just wrong. I don't know anybody that supports it. In fact those people that are caught on video or they're dealing with that now. We know that. But the speech was just a terrible idea. The president responded in between Biden's speeches. Cut for it. You know all about that. Take away our energy, if you can believe it. No fossil fuel. Destroy our Second Amendment attack. The right to life. Yeah, let me, replace let, me, let, me, American- let me just uh, reframe that. I'll, I'll spring this correctly. Donald Trump predicted all these moves by Joe Biden. He predicted everything that's happening right now between the border collapsing, fossil fuels being uh, being attacked and being uh, labeled the fascist because you, you want to make America great again. Cut for it. You know all about that. Take away our energy, if you can believe it. No fossil fuel. Destroy our Second Amendment attack, the right to life and replace American freedom with left wing fascism. Left wing. We're going left wing all the way. Fascists. They are fascists. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them, but they're getting closer and closer. We have to win this election. Well, they didn't. Uh, he got 74 million votes more than any Republican in history, but they didn't win it. A lot of people say I'm upset about the election. I could not care less. It is done. Uh, the reforms that were put in were put in by legislatures and governors. It's done. 
So Jim Crow 2.0, totally irresponsible by this president, another divider-in-chief example. What the Democrats have going for them is the Dobbs decision. Evidently, more women, suburban women, are registering to vote since the Dobbs decision came down. What is that? That returned the uh, the right for an abortion to the states. How many weeks? Uh, uh, are there exemptions? Are there exceptions? Things to that nature. Every state is deciding. And that's going to affect it. Now, did Donald Trump affect that? Technically, he put conservative judges on the stand, three of them, uh, on the Supreme Court. But... He did, evidently he told people this is going to be a problem uh, come election time because most of America uh, wants a degree of abortion, uh, but they don't want long term or anything past 15 weeks that they can negotiate. Now the amount of women who want the right to have it has gone up. I don't care where you stand on the issue. It's just fact. So a lot of these purple states or these blue states are saying, now I really got to register. Now I really got to go to the midterms because I got to make sure my governor, my senator goes to bat for what I think. And that is pretty much the Democratic Party. That's what you think the president will be emphasizing. Instead, he uh, he's coming out and trying to label everyone a Trump supporter. Well, most Republicans are. There's very few Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney supporters. You know, uh, we, I like Adam Kinzinger, but he is not going to fill up a gymnasium. This president fills up stadiums still, despite January 6th, despite Mar-a-Lago, despite the Georgia investigation, despite the attorney general looking into it, despite all these things. And he won, I think, 87 percent of the people, 93 percent of the people that he put forward. But as President Biden says, he's extremists. We got to we got to vote against these extremists. We got to make sure these Trump people don't get back in power. Larry Hogan, the moderate's moderate governor of Maryland, said this. If President Biden is truly serious about threats to democracy, then he would condemn the tens of millions of Democratic groups who have spent tons of money promoting extremists threatening democracy. Those so-called extremists, did you say, these Trumpies, these uh, ultra MAGA Democrats are supporting them, pushing them forward, hoping they get the nomination because they think they're beatable. Well, if if the president was truly the president for all people, concerned about the direction of the country, not his party, he would say, knock that off. I'm not for that. That would be a cool moment. But instead, you got Democrats defending the speech. Cut five. She called out. He called out mainstream Republicans, Democrats, independents to come join him to help protect, to fight to protect our democracy. So it was about a specific, particular, extreme, extreme part of the party uh, that has taken over. What I see in this speech, I see words of encouragement. I see optimism. I see a commander in chief who is calling out to all of us, no matter our political affiliation. Two of the hallmarks of a fascist political party are, one, they don't accept the results of uh, elections that don't go their way, and two, they embrace political violence. And I think that's why President Biden was right to sound the alarm. There's nothing the president said on Thursday that has not been said by leading conservatives and Republicans. I mean, Republicans and the Democrats are in large part in agreement it's the MAGA movement that is extreme. It's, are you nuts? Number one, you don't get it. I mean, are you really that stupid? The, the Make America Great Again movement, simple. Build strong borders, strong military, few foreign wars, rework trade deals, cut taxes for everyone, uh, build a wall on top of that because it symbolizes reinforcing your border and immigration rules, reforming immigration as well as part of it. He wasn't able to get it done. 
This is pretty much what the MAGA movement is not extreme. January 6th is uh, an aberration. For the most part, these, these rallies are all extremely peaceful, which made it so bizarre to watch it on January 6th. Number two is, what about what Jamie Raskin was saying? A hallmark of fascist political parties are ones that don't accept the results of an election. You mean like Stacey Abrams doesn't accept the results of an election in 2018 to this day? That Hillary Clinton that says, I really won, had it stolen from me to this day? That most of Al Gore supporters looked at George Bush, George W. Bush, as an illegitimate president to this day? I mean, you think that President Trump invented this? Unbelievable. To me, unbelievable they would take that tact. Real quick, I want you to hear you, Hewitt. He was on with Brett Baer last night, just talking about the Labor Day trips, weekend trips of the president and his approach. Cut seven. I think it's face plant after face plant, Brett. We go back to the semi-fascist slur. Then we go forward to the student loan bailout. Then we go forward to the red setting, the red wedding speech, which was a much pan by everyone who was objective about it. And today you have the Wisconsin Democratic senator candidate not showing up with the president like Tim Ryan in Ohio. They don't want to be anywhere near him. He got 38 percent approval. It's falling. He can always get, you know, a crowd. He's the president of the United States. People want to see him. Even people don't like him, but some union guys will show up, et cetera. But I think it's been a disastrous start to the Labor Day campaign. And we'll talk later specific races, I think. But right now, you'd rather have the Republican cards than the Democratic cards. And you'd rather, rather be led by Mitch McConnell and, Lee, and Kevin McCarthy than Joe Biden. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi says if she happens to lose the speakership, she wants to be ambassador to Italy, already making alternative plans. But a red wave, could it be halted? We'll discuss that because a lot of reporters and networks are reporting it as fact, but they're actually cheerleading in many respects. Uh, I'll go over that, go over the polls, good and bad for whoever the candidate is, but this is the place to be for politics. Don't move. We come back. Your call is 1-866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It is really problematic when you look at the way that the Department of Justice is handling this case overall. You have the conflict of interest possibility, but also the appearance of a conflict of interest. And that's where they fail miserably with this case. And, you know, it's very important for the public to know that this case is being treated fairly. Hunter Biden shouldn't be treated any worse because of who he is, but he shouldn't be treated any better. And the way they're handling this gives the appearance that he's being treated better and being treated with special treatment. 
Really? Uh, the former DHS uh, Assistant Secretary, uh, Jonathan Fahey, on Fox & Friends First today. But I find it unbelievable when you said uh, it seems it, or it appears. Of course, it, a four-year investigation into his tax records, you still don't have a verdict? If you don't think he's getting special treatment as he walks the earth, stays in Malibu at some uh, billionaire's house, and then goes back and forth from Delaware to the White House on a regular basis, free with his third family. Uh, I don't. Th- you think there's a special... The rules for him, of course, but I don't want to get caught up in him. It's all how it relates to the big guy, Joe Biden. This CEFC is a Chinese company that was the capitalist arm of the Belt and Road Program. What's the Belt and Road Program? The Belt and Road Program was put together by China to try to get these, these cash-strapped countries to allow them to build to build their infrastructure, charge them exorbitant amounts, and then take that infrastructure. So you build something in Zambia, you decide to take their ports. You build a road and you build a bridge, you decide to take control of the airport you build because they can't make the payments. They're finding that in Pakistan and elsewhere. We quickly have tried to get an answer to this because we look to build things with developing countries in a loan situation where they're not predatory loans. We're not there to destroy an economy while really building an infrastructure. But China is. They're looking for the real estate. So they come in and do a crappy job. They rebuild the, uh, this country's infrastructure to a degree or what they can afford. When they can't make the payments, they take it. And the CEFC was leading that charge. Guess who is investing with the CEFC? Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, along with Tony Bobulinski, when they thought that was a firm, an international uh, business firm, investment firm, they thought they'd invest in, which led them to Romania, led them to Kazakhstan, to the to Ukraine and Burisma. For people not to follow that line is nuts. For the FBI not to follow through is criminal itself. Now it turns out, last week we told you about Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is a 25-year FBI veteran uh, who retired because his name was brought up at a congressional hearing. They say it's no link to that. And they said this guy, according to whistleblowers, suppressed the Hunter Biden story because it linked to Joe and they wanted to protect the Bidens. And then they came out to the FBI and said, listen, my guy's – his lawyer came out and goes, my guy's retiring because he's been 25 years. Nothing to do with this. He didn't work the case. The Baltimore Bureau worked the case. Well, Miranda Devine writes the story that a Baltimore Bureau may have worked the case, but when Tony Bobulinski came in to meet with the FBI agents and their names are listed, they were told at the end of that interview, Tony Bobulinski, after hours of testimony, no, not – he was not asked to go in front of a grand jury to look at whether Hunter Biden had, had, have, uh, is worthy of criminal charges. As that testimony, he was given a number. That number was Tim Tebolt's cell phone number. It says he's the point man for your testimony. Really? Tebolt had nothing to do, nothing to do with this investigation? Really? Well, the whistleblower said he squelched it. And now we have Bobolinsky told who was told he was the point man. Please don't tell me this guy wasn't involved. And that the Chris Ray should not have cracked down on this. Because he cannot be finding out about it really, really, truly from Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley. You're the FBI. You don't know what's going on in your own building, let alone around the country. No excuse. I have a lot to say. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West next to expand on this and more.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I worked 20 years on the border, on both sides of the border, including Mexico, as you mentioned. And when we see the increase in seizures of this type, it's not a good thing. That means that we are getting swamped with fentanyl, methamphetamine, heroin that is continuing to pour into this country. The seizures are good, like I mentioned, but that means that it's coming in through every porous uh, part of our open border uh, down the southern border. And that should be disqualifying for this president because he doesn't have a bad policy. He has no policy, which is a terrible policy. And this is what Victor Avila is saying. He's a retired ICE um, uh, special agent. And he said people are saying, wow, look at all the drug busts we're getting at the border. It must be good news. He goes, no, it's just the opposite because I've been doing this for 20 years. And when you get this much, it means the rest of the border is wide open and it's flooding through. Flooding through maybe because our agents are distracted or maybe because they know that the, the policies are just so lax we're never going to see such irresponsibility again. Cut 21. There's definitely not enough being done to stop it. And I'll, and I'll put it to you both ways. One, we have to hold Mexico accountable. Uh, they're attached to us. They're our neighbors. We must go in there with a different strategy to hold them accountable for what they're not doing in their country. And, of course, the United States uh, and this administration is doing absolutely nothing to stop the flow of these uh, killer poisonings is what I call them, because we're over 107,000. Sixty-five percent of those poisonings are fentanyl poisonings. That's what's happening at the border. And that's what's so criminal about it. And that's what this administration thinks they're going to get away with. And that is why I believe that there's a panic among other networks not to cover something so terrible. But if you are in Texas, do you really think you're uh, worried about the MAGA agenda? Well, you mean the wall and the extra Border Patrol agents and the backing up of our border and the people who are actually applying to come here the right way? Is that so terrible? Is that so extreme? When it comes to enforcing the border and the wall, it absolutely worked. Why else do you think they're closing it in portions of Arizona? It's ridiculous. The other big story, and I think it's genius, I thought it was a defiant move to get attention. I thought it was maybe a weak story. But when Governor Abbott started sending illegal immigrants from his border voluntarily to Washington, D.C., I thought that was, okay, get attention. They said, okay, we're going to watch those buses pull in. But they were about a third full. And I see people get out of my head. I guess it's not really going to be that big a deal. Well, evidently it was getting under the D.C. skin. And then New York, which gets these fights without anybody announcing it, which gets these fights with anyone announcing it, New York um, uh, started getting some of these, started complaining, and there wasn't anything happening. There were no buses coming there. They were complaining about something that wasn't taking place. But Governor Adams said, no, I'll send them to you, Mayor Adams. I know you're tight with Joe Biden. So if you think we have to deal with 7,000 a day, why don't you deal with maybe 70 tops and then send a few more buses? When you start complaining, a few more buses. And then they started getting them in Chicago. Why should just Texas be dealing with it? This is a major issue. So now these blue cities have to wonder, are we going to send a reporter down there from the Chicago Sun-Times to cover the illegals and why they're coming here? Mayor Lightfoot could be saying idiotic things, but she's still giving heat to the story and oxygen to the story that all America should be concerned about. Our border. Why is that a, that, is that a Republican or Democratic thing? Cut 23 is Mayor Lightfoot. Listen to what she says. He professes to be a Christian. This is not the Christianity and the teachings of the Bible that I know. And I think religious leaders all across the country are standing up and denouncing exactly this. 
Religious leaders? Religious leaders? Well, number one, Catholic Charities is taking government money to give these illegal immigrants uh, health care attention, a place to sleep, maybe a Nike bag to be able to get a fresh set of clothes, put them on buses and fly them around the country if they prefer flights uh, to land to sponsor homes. So that's all costing us money. When it comes to religion, it's nothing to do with religious. What is religious about getting 7,000 illegal immigrants a day? You don't know who they are, where they're from. They're not all cute four-year-olds. Uh, and even if they are, that's our responsibility now to raise them, which I'm fine with that if you have a charitable arm, but not a immigration policy. Now she's bringing up somebody's religion. Are you insane? That makes absolutely no sense. And that to me is what the administration, that's what the Republicans should be talking about. You talk about the border, you talk about inflation, and first and foremost, you talk about crime. They're all related. Joe, listen on WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Yes, I'm listening to you. It's unsustainable. Uh, MAGA, I can tell you what MAGA is because I'm self-proclaimed number one in the country. MAGA is if you love America, you're MAGA. MAGA is love of God, country, and family. MAGA is liberty, individual freedom. Uh, it's the American dream for all legal Americans, Brian. MAGA is the defenders of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. MAGA is defenders of children, disabled, the elderly. And I want to speak about, if I can, Brian, about make another point, Joe Biden's disgraceful speech, uh, the president, uh, that could be arguable, but he divides Americans. He put the prop up there, Marines, and I was so disgusted. I couldn't even tell because it was so dark. But after what he did in Afghanistan, those 13 Marines he killed soldiers and with his incompetence, the goal to put them up there as a prop. It was, and my father was a Marine. I was Navy. My brother was Air Force. We all served. But they killed the uh, father and 10 children with the drone strike so he can get a talking point. The aid worker. Yep. I thought that. They told so us disgusting. that was the bomber. They told us that was the bomber. What? No, no, no. The father with the drone strike two days later so he can get the talking point. They drone the aid worker, the father with the 10 children it was, so he can get a no, talking No, 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 I know, but they told us they killed the bomber, the suicide bomber at Abbey Gate, uh, they, they, the, the mastermind of the bombing. So they instead it ends up being a guy just filling up his trunk, deliver gas to somebody. They said it was to be a terrorist. And they were totally wrong. The guy was actually an ally working for our government. But uh, here is a little from the president, uh, a little bit at the aftermath of the president's speech. I want you to hear, here's Jeff Mason, what he's saying about the politics of it. Is it good politics? He's with Reuters. Cut 10. The president's message, uh, whether it was it came or arrived well with, with some part of the country or not, was uh, was certainly that he thinks Trump and Trump supporters are a threat to American democracy. The president or the White House argued that that wasn't a political speech. I think that's been a tough argument for them to make. Yeah, and he put those Marines behind him. A tough argument. Thanks so much for the call. one 408 And the thing is, too, the, if it does work, the president's going to be in good stead. Now, a lot of people are saying, and Nate Silver talked about this on Sunday, the, the red wave is being halted mainly by the Dobbs decision, but the president's approval ratings aren't budging. They're still around between 38 and 41 percent which is why so many Democratic candidates don't want anything to do with him. He's radioactive. Now, in Pennsylvania, they say Fetterman's got an eight-point lead, according to 538. The Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, who wants to be the next governor, uh, they say he's got about the same type lead, uh, seven-point lead, over uh, Mastriano. We will see. Mastriano's very good on on the stump. 
You know, he was there, and they're trying to link up to 9-11. He was there that day. He's a big Trump supporter. He's a state rep. We'll see if he's got what it takes. He's not a dumb guy. He's got a Ph.D. in history. I've interviewed him before. He's actually quite uh, impressive. But that is somebody that Donald Trump should go to bat for because the ultimate battleground state is Pennsylvania. So this Tom Bonnier is a Democratic strategist. He was in Axios over the weekend. Uh, he's with Target Smart. He says the row wave of new women voters fired up by the Supreme Court road decision could swamp GOP's hopes of a red wave. He said, in my 28 years analyzed elections, I've never seen anything like what has happened in the past two months in American politics. We will see. But that's an op-ed in the New York Times. You've got to look at where it comes from. You know what I don't see? I don't see people talking about the impact of the Hispanic vote on almost all sectors. You go to Florida, you got the Cuban vote. You go to, you got the Hispanic vote in, oh, you got a lot of Cubans coming through Texas to decide to stay, but the Hispanic Cubans mostly are, are Republicans. Uh, Democrats, for the most part, think they're getting all these triangle countries, and, but those people aren't voting. The ones that were here already evidently pretty upset by the whole thing, so they're probably not going to be voting for them. Morgan Ortegas over the weekend talked about demonizing half the country. She's actually been doing it on the ground, trying to meet as with many reporters as possible. Dave McCormick is going to team with Dr. Oz this week in Pennsylvania. I think on Thursday, Morgan's going to be there. Cut nine. They made a calculated decision to divide this country, uh, to call uh, so many people who voted for uh, President Trump a threat to the republic. Listen, President Biden and his team should know, just look at the members of the military, for example. Most of the members of the military uh, probably are registered Republicans who probably voted for Trump. Are you trying to say the people who sign up um, to, to give their lives for this country are a threat to a republic? It was one of the most insulting and demonizing things that I've ever seen a president do uh, to half the country. Country. So what the president keeps saying is, I'm not saying all Republicans, just the MAGA, excuse me. Most Republicans are voting for Donald Trump. There are some that aren't. I get it. The Lincoln Project and those uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. But for the most part, that's where almost all of them stand. So vilify them incorrectly, anger them holistically, and do exactly what Hillary Clinton said. Demean them with deplorables in that comment. That's what this adds up to. And the word is that many people on his staff did not want him to deliver that tone of a speech at Independence Hall. He did it anyway. He said it was time. There's a lot of people pleased by it. I don't think the general lecture it is. But maybe I'm wrong. I'll take calls next. one 408 7669 Brian Show. Both sides. All opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Quite frankly, this is not going to change the trajectory of the case. Uh, the Department of Justice is going to be able to complete its case and any prosecution. Indeed, it was unlikely that they would announce any indictment before the midterm executive uh, elections because of the standard policy at the Department of Justice. Now, this order does prevent them from continuing to use these documents for prosecutorial purposes. And that may be the reason that they do appeal. They have nothing to lose from an appeal except the precedent that they might create. Or the time. 
So what they said and, and what Jonathan was going over, Jonathan Turley, welcome back, everybody, uh, was the Mar-a-Lago raid. They asked for a special master, and everyone, all these legal experts are saying, why is the Trump team there? The B team, uh, this is these don't know what they're doing. They should have asked for a special master right away. Now they've had a chance to go through. The FBI had a chance to go in there, and they had their vetting team go through there. So there's nothing, no reason for a special master. And the Department of Justice argued, we don't need a special master. Well, the judge said, yeah, I think we do. Because the president not only has attorney-client privilege papers that disappeared or may have, but he also has executive privilege. And they said, wait a second. Yeah, a former president does have some executive privilege, especially if some of the documents that he might have declassified when he was president. Now, what are these documents? There's 11,000 documents that they took, 48 empty folders, 103 classified uh, documents, it seems, 42 folders that said confidential on it that are also empty. So – they took also uh, his tax records, some of his tax records, and his interaction on taxes, some of his emails. And number two, they took uh, they took his uh, medical records. What are you talking about? I thought you had a taint team to walk in there and immediately screen it. Of course you need a master, uh, a special master. So even I think the judge was very fair. He said, just give me five names or some names that you think I should consider as a special master. He told the Trump team, give me some names of people I should consider as a special master to go through it. You know what effectively it does, though? For the most part, there's an unsaid rule. Within 60 days of an election, you're supposed to keep down on investigations that affect that election. This would absolutely affect that election. We're at 63 now. So you're going to take your time. You're going to appeal. You're going to continue to allow these headlines to get out in the investigation to emerge. Now, you're going to use the Washington Post and New York Times leaks, air quotes, to get your point across. I get it. But they are deciding now uh, with a special master to move forward. By Friday, they want some special master candidates. So Cannon, the judge, was a Trump appointee who was confirmed the week after Trump's defeat in 2020. She doesn't know Donald Trump anything. I mean, with the order not only unilaterally serve only to delay the criminal justice system, according to the Department of Justice. This will delay everything, so they're not happy. Why? What's wrong with delay? What's your big rush? You got your documents back. You didn't have to wait for the subpoena to be satisfied. You didn't want to negotiate anymore, but you took everything. I thought you had some great intelligence that told you exactly where to go to find everything. Here's Mike McCall. I talked about the raid. Cut 15. There's a certain distrust but verify attitude with when it comes to the Department of Justice. And the FBI, and it frankly saddens me because as an alumni of DOJ, uh, I hate to see uh, people's uh, faith in our institutions uh, being weakened. I have a lot of questions. Why, why didn't they enforce the subpoena before they did this unprecedented search warrant on a former president of the United States? And also, why didn't they tell the committees, the Senate Select Committee, hey, guys, I got a problem with the former president. He's got some uh, items here in folders there in Mar-a-Lago that I, I, I don't think he gave me everything. I think we might not have to do a raid. Guys, what do you think? Republicans and Democrats, tell me, if is this an overreaction? And if I'm the Department of Justice, I would love to say, yeah, here's my press conference. And by the way, I briefed uh, Republicans and Democrats on this at the highest level of our intelligence community before I did it. And they're in support. But they didn't know anything about it. How serious can you be if you didn't brief them? Were you just ignoring another branch of government again? James Comer weighed in on Fox and Friends first this morning, cut 14. He could be the next chairman of intelligence should the House go Republican, cut 14. Well, it benefits the president a lot. I don't think the president would have been granted the special master had the DOJ had all their I's dotted and T's crossed. Clearly, they took way too many documents. 
they've already admitted that there were, you know, a, a certain number of documents that may have been classified. What they took significantly outnumbered uh, what they said was classified. So I think the FBI, the Department of Justice, they're going to have a lot of explaining to do as to why they took so many documents. Uh, in addition to so many other questions. But in the short term, this was a big victory for Donald Trump. Right. You don't want to hear what you did wrong. The Department of, oh, well, we got this. No, you don't got this. And why this the Department of Justice, why this attorney general thought he could pull this off without a major backlash is insane. Now, do I think the president should have brought this stuff home? No. There should be a screening team. If I'm the president, I don't need another headache. I like some of these records for my own memorabilia and for my library or whatever you want to do. I need the archives to come down here and check it out. I don't need to be in the middle of any of this. And if I really want a document that that they don't want to give me, make it a big deal. Say I'm going to take it on this one document. I'm going to have my attorneys get involved. We're going to keep it on ice till we decide it. Uh, Mike Pence uh, went through the normal process, but vice presidents don't have a lot of paperwork that's extremely valuable. Not like the president does, especially a hands-on president like this. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have any time to take any calls. But I do. We're supposed to have Alan West on uh, this hour, but it didn't work out. We had miscommunication. Also, we had this thing called a flight delay, which is pretty much commonplace with everybody listening to me right now. It is more an exception than rule when your flight lands on time. And I would say that that is a, that is fine. If that would say that's fine. If it was in 2022, I'd say it's fine if it was 1953, and we're beginning to put it in airports and understand the magnitude of uh, passenger travel. But that's uh, the that's the Secretary of Transportation. Life under Pete Buttigieg, yeah, he says I'm really going to come down on people who don't fly, and I don't think it's uh, you know I don't think it's right to uh, I'm going to blame the airlines because they were given money and they didn't spend it on retaining their employees. Yeah, they incentivize a lot into retire, and you have this age uh, this age cutoff when it comes to pilots, which I think is very dangerous. They lose the most experienced pilots, and it shouldn't be a case by case basis. I mean, before Boxing Commission, they make sure if you're 30 or 40, you can pass a medical exam. Make sure. If you're on top of your game, why are you making somebody retire and hurting air travel? Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 So glad you're here, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Barney and Company, I'll simulcast an FBN so you get a chance to see what I look like. If you're not watching Fox Nation right now, who is kind enough to stream our show, uh, Dan Hoffman at 34 minutes after the hour, which is going to be fascinating. i got to talk about what's happening over in Russia. First, uh, there's a report that they understand that they're going to be under extreme long-term economic distress, despite the fact that they are making money off the oil at this moment. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, but there was a shot of Vladimir Putin on stage, and his uh, his feet were shaking uncontrollably. The word is cancer or some type of Parkinson's, and I only wish him the worst. I mean, I really wish he suffers and dies a terrible death uh, of, of what he's doing to innocent people now. Do you know what they were actually doing? They're kidnapping Ukrainians, grabbing them out of their houses, they're shipping them to 
uh, Russia, and they're taking children and adopting them into Russian families, taking it away from their families, let alone the people they killed and the war they started. Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have that uh, uh, laptop uh, in the uh, Department of Justice and FBI for months and months before anybody knows it existed. Uh, That's why total transparency is important. Yeah, I would say so. More revelations. The pot thickens. The soon-to-be disgraced FBI agent Tim Timbolt was Tony Bobulinski's point man on the spiked Hunter Biden story and the big guy story on the international finance scam that were beginning to get exposed. Yeah, the guy that said he had nothing to do with the investigation had everything to do with it. Few knew more about President Biden's role than he, than mean Tony Bobulinski, and even CNN is beginning to ask questions. Number two. That's a potentially explosive ruling if it holds. The Justice Department assumed that Trump only had attorney-client privilege, that he did not have executive privilege. But the problem is it's it's not 100% settled. Uh, that is, uh, and I'll tell you, I think my, my opinion is that Andy McCarthy was kind of surprised by the special master ruling. Trump gets his wish. A special master will be in place to review what was taken from his home. That includes medical records, his passport, tax information, and even tax communications with his accountants. Why would they need all that? And why do they need to rifle through Barron's room? Number one. The definition of democracy is you accept the will of the people when the votes are honestly counted. These guys don't do it. To this day, MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol, and people died later. Dividing Biden. Unbelievable, divisive, angry speech as Biden not only uh, shocks the world on Thursday with his idiotic remarks, he does it again all throughout the weekend through Labor Day. He thinks by saying people are ultra, Trumpies, and MAGA, he's he's ridiculing a small segment of the Republican Party. It's the whole thing. Will someone please whisper that in his ear and see if it sticks? Michael Goodwin knows all that. He wrote about it in in Sunday's, or yeah, it's Tuesday, Tuesday, Sunday's New York Post. He joins us now, and he's a Fox News contributor. Michael, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Do you believe uh, the reports that Joe Biden is defying his own staff and writing these re- in, in in going with this tone with these remarks? Well, look, I, I, I do. I think that uh, it was a mistake for him to give that speech. I think it uh, it, it may make him feel better uh, getting a kind of sugar high from denouncing Trump. Uh, but as I've written a couple of times, Brian, uh, Joe Biden has a lot to be afraid of. And I think this, spe- this speech comes out of a panic that if Republicans win either House of Congress, they are going to investigate Joe Biden's connection to Hunter Biden and all of the all of the things that we've heard. And so the only way Joe Biden can exempt himself from that is by helping the Democrats keep both houses. And so they I think he has decided, perhaps along with some pollsters, that you have to mention Donald Trump's name 10 times every day. And you have to say MAGA Republican. MAGA Republicans is another way of saying Trump. 
And that, I think, is what they're, they're pinning all, all their hopes on. Now, whether the White House liked that speech, liked that setting, uh, I mean, there have been reports that said, no, they advised against it, they advised against the speech. But I think that uh, Joe Biden has decided this, to put all of his chips on this. For the next 90 days, I think this is what we're going to be hearing about. Put Donald Trump on the ballot. Put January 6th on the ballot. Don't forget, that's been Nancy Pelosi's uh, move all along as well. That's why they did the January 6th commission. It was designed to come out and to be kind of their hammer in this election. As it turned out, they had nothing else. But all along, I think that was the goal. And look, uh, Joe Biden really does – this is not a figment of his imagination for once. He may have invisible people he wants to shake hands with and all of that, but he's really got an issue here because it, when the Republicans uh, take either house, what you, you're going to have uh, Jim Jordan and others in the House, or you're going to have Grassley and Ron Johnson and others in the Senate – going after this Hunter Biden. I mean, Johnson and Grassley in particular uh, in the Senate have done tremendous work in ferreting out the $11 million that the one Chinese company paid the Biden family. CEFC. Yeah, yeah, $11 million. And I think people, you know, don't associate this, Brian, with what that company was was about, this this uh, project that Tony Bobolinsky was going to be the CEO of and that Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, uh, Rob Walker, I mean, the whole Biden family operation was going to be involved in. It was about the Chinese buying American infrastructure. This work was done. You remember at one point there was a on, on Hunter Biden's laptop, there was a list of uh, Democratic office holders in the United States, as well as foreign officials, Democratic office holders in the United States, whom the Bidens had made a list of that Joe Biden would be able to call and get a meeting with this group. So the governor of New York, for example, Andrew Cuomo, was on the list. And the idea was the Chinese want to buy New York infrastructure. Uh, whether and and you know we we will we, we the Bidens will will make the deal we'll bring the two sides together. Uh, the states need the money, states and cities, whether it's a bridge, a water tunnel, or any a highway. And the Chinese, this is part of their Belt and Road Initiative that they've been doing all over the world. They were going to do it in America, and the Bidens were going to be the front people. That's what they got paid $11 million for that we know uh, just before anything was sold. This was just for being on the team, for arranging meetings, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this was going to be uh, – Bob Alinsky has said it. This was going to be so, billions of dollars. So uh, in your same newspaper, Miranda Devine writes that Tim Tebold, who they who now the soon-to-be-disgraced 25-year veteran of the FBI, who was brought up by whistleblowers, a dozen, two, Grassley uh, and or Johnson – came forward and said, this guy squelched the story. And T-Bolt's attorney came back and said, no, he didn't. He had nothing to do with the Baltimore Bureau squelched the Biden story, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And then it turns out in the story yesterday, worse, yeah, was it su- uh, Sunday? It's kind of blending together. It turns <laughs> out that T-Bolt was the point man who Tony Bobolinsky was told, if you need anything, 
this is your contact. And they gave him Tim Tebow's cell phone number. So if he had nothing to do with the story, why is Tony Bobulinski the most valuable witness that nobody cares about, that the FBI had to bring into their bureau through secret passageways, who was never brought in front of the grand jury, who provided all his text messages, his cell phones, his email, all this stuff, too. He was never followed up with. They never did anything again in the grand jury. And Tebow never contacted. How could you say he was not involved in this story? See, see how it's all coming together? Well, that's right. And, and you know, look, the, the twin thing, I mean, you've been t- you were talking before about the, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. So all you have to do is juxtapose these two things, right? This is the same attorney general. This is the same FBI, right, that doesn't have time or, sinc- or sincerely uh, makes an effort to investigate Hunter Biden over four years, but now has time to raid Mar-a-Lago, has sufficient manpower for that, you know, does it in a hurry. I mean, this is the same Justice Department, and this is precisely why a lot of people don't trust the Justice Department. You can, you can line up cases like that, uh, you know, how they, how they go after uh, – uh, the parents, the, the Justice Department has this, you know, domestic terrorism watch on parents who complain at school board meetings, right? But never does anything about the people coming across the border, right, who commit crimes. I mean, on and on and on, there is this juxtaposition of what looks like a very political Justice Department that is doing the bidding of the President of the United States. And I finally, I'll just say, Brian, I believe there is a clear connection between the raid on Mar-a-Lago and Joe Biden's determination to do MAGA, 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 MAGA. I think that the two have to go hand in hand. I don't think it's just a coincidence that Joe Biden turns to this uh, claim on the campaign trail Absolutely. in the wake of the Mar-a-Lago raid. Yeah, you know, I, I think do you I realize think what Merrick you're saying, Garland though, Michael? Is part, of, is part of the White House political team. Then they're saying they flat out lied. He said, I knew nothing about the raid. I knew nothing about the raid at all. He was never even briefed on the raid, which is you have to suspend logic to think the President, can you imagine if Trump was in office and they go, we're going to raid, we're, we're going to raid Barack Obama's house? And I'd even tell Trump, are you kidding? Or if Obama was in office and they said we're going to raid Bush's office, when I'm going to tell Obama? So yet they raided Mar-a-Lago. No, we never really briefed the president. He's been busy. He's got COVID. Really? He's got nothing to do. You can't text him a message. By the way, we're going. Don't go to Mar-a-Lago today because we're <laughs> raiding it. So yeah, well, and this to... is the same president who didn't know anything about Hunter Biden's foreign businesses. Right. So why does he lie about that? Why does he lie? Because it's such an it's such an easy lie to disprove. Which it's been disproven. So why lie? Because you can't handle the follow up question. You can't handle all of the questions about your association with your sons business partners and paymasters. That's why he lies about the threshold question of did you ever discuss it. So I don't know what's going on at CNN. It's not my job. Uh, they haven't asked me to run that place. But they, like Dana Bash has asked a few questions that were uh, provocative and interesting. They weren't – I'm not saying that she's not, but there's a definite tilt of despising Donald Trump and everything she says and does, but a little bit less than most. Over the weekend, this Sarah Seidner tweeted this out. There was, this is for a CNN reporter. There are serious questions that should be asked about Hunter Biden. He's an elected. He's not an elected official, but legitimate questions should be asked and answered about his former business dealings and how it was handled by the FBI. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. 
That creates this huge uproar. What happened at CNN, another conservative organ? Do you realize she even missed the story? We don't care about Hunter Biden. I only care about Hunter Biden as it has to do with trading on the family name and as it relates to the big guy, Joe Biden. I care about Hunter Biden as much as I care about Billy Carter. Uh, when I was only nine at the time, so maybe that's a bad example. Uh, but, but the Hunter Biden is also a distraction. They look at the, the crack and the addicts and they try to get sympathy. CEFC, Romania, Ukraine, Russia, all these dealings that this president is dealing with now that could Oman. These are all places that he was doing business with getting possibly a percentage of all investment on. And that relates directly to a war in the Ukraine, directs directly to anything in the Middle East, and it certainly re, uh, reflects it directly on what's happening with China. And why wouldn't I think that if you're trying to destroy the oil and gas business to push our country towards batteries, which all the elements of which are lived would, can, are contained in China, why wouldn't I think twice about why this president has these policies? Look, uh, Brian, the, the New York Post did a story a couple of months ago that did not get enough attention, I believe. It was that uh, the, the Post got finally through, I think, Freedom of Information, got uh, vice presidential mansions visitor logs when Joe Biden was vice president. And what the reporters were able to establish was a pattern of Hunter Biden and his partner, Eric Swerwin visiting Joe Biden right before or after their foreign trips. And so the sense that they're reporting back to the big guy uh, about their business activities, to me, it is highly uh, suspect. Uh, Again, when Joe Biden says, I never talked with him about the business, why is Hunter Biden's business partner visiting the vice president with Hunter Biden? Yeah, John Levine. Like 25 times. Michael, I just have to say, you might be disappointed in the rest of the media, but on our show, we had John Levine in here talking about that the next day. So please, when you indict the media, could you say, except for Brian Kilmeade in your next column? now on, I will. <laughs> Thank you. I am all over this, but as it relates to Joe. But am I yes, exactly. But that's the point. I mean, when he was vice president, th- yep. this is no, when these you. things were being formed. This is when the money was being made. And then you add up. To, I know. I know you know this, Brian. But the idea when Hunter says Pop makes me give him half my salary, when Eric Schwerwin is working with both. Uh, checking accounts of Hunter's and Joe's. How do we exempt Joe from this question? We can't. Uh, we can't. And and uh, I think you're 100 percent right. We've got to look into this more. We're not going to let up on it. And it will continue. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. I'll give you a lot. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Also, Daniel Hoffman at the bottom of the hour. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. I mean, there's a for Michael Goodwin to come out and say that. I mean, he does a lot of research too, and he doesn't. He's not an apologist for Donald Trump. Knows Donald Trump is not playing the perfect game. It's not like talking to some people that um, that great people, but they just don't think Donald Trump ever did anything wrong. Michael Goodwin has called him out and written about it. But for the most part, the fact that Joe Biden is able to lie his way through that he knew nothing about 
Hunter Biden's business dealings, yet he was benefiting from them. No one's ever asked Joe Biden this. Do you know Tony Bobulinski? Did you meet at the Beverly Hills Hotel? What about the correspondence that says you have to give 10%, that you got 10% to the big guy, that you were involved in the CFSAFE dealings? How do you mention the fact that you met with him and his business partners right after their major meetings overseas? Look at these notes, Mr. President. How do you explain all this? And you remember you said you don't know anything about his business partner, but yet there's a picture of you with Devin Archer in the Hamptons in New York. Devin Archer was his business partner. Almost all of them are in jail. The CEFC contact you had in China has disappeared. I'm not saying you had anything to do with that, but China had something to do with that. He is now gone. So this is pretty amazing. The whole thing is heating up exponentially. Can you imagine if the Republicans had... Uh, had control. Uh, my hope is that it's so obvious. This is not a Benghazi thing where it was a fog of war. You have emails and laptop and pictures. And if you know what, and I'm going to play it naive. If I'm Barack Obama, I'm angry. You having all these meetings about private deals when I'm asking you to work for me? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Russian news agencies say the chairman of the country's largest private oil company has died after falling from a hospital window. Ravil Maganov uh, is now the eighth Russian energy executive to die suddenly this year. Luke Oil is one of the few Russian companies to publicly call for an end to Moscow's military operation in Ukraine. Russian state-sponsored news outlet Interfax and Reuters both confirmed he died from falling out of a window, but a statement from Luke Oil reads, Maganov, quote, passed away following a serious illness. Wow. Uh, so the Russians kill everybody that disagrees, even high-ranking executives in a, uh, the most powerful company in the country. Daniel Hoffman joins us now, CIA station chief during Moscow, in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, um, uh, and uh, South Asia. Uh, he joins us now. Daniel, you know Russia. Do you think these guys are just passing away suddenly? Yeah, no. Uh, it doesn't seem like much of a coincidence to me. If you look at the chairman of Luke Oil, uh, Ravil Maganov, who was in the same hospital where Gorbachev died. Uh, the word was he had a heart condition, but he jumped out of the balcony, and, you know, that's how he died. There, was, there were no CCTV coverage at all, no evidence. That and all of those other death uh, murders, it would look like, seem to indicate, you know, that, that Russia's undergoing a real stress test domestically. Yeah, the people are kind of acting as if there's really no war going on in the major cities. But make no mistake, Putin, as his armed forces have really taken a hit here, 80,000 dead or wounded, and real questions about his inner circle in the Ministry of Defense and in his intelligence services. So this is sensitive for Putin, the energy, uh, energy, which is where Russia gets all of its income. And so he's delivering a message, not just to the energy sector, but his own guys, his inner circle, that he's as ruthless as he ever was. And if you cross him, he's going to make you pay for it with your life. What is your take on some of the video that showed him on stage sitting behind a desk with his legs twitching? Do you think he's sick? You know, I've talked to a lot of leadership analysts. There's no indication that Vladimir Putin is suffering from any serious illness. Uh, we should certainly, I think, factor in the possibility that he's under some 
pretty significant stress. He's 70 years old, and even if he is in pretty good shape, he swims a lot. And, uh, of course, he's known for having practiced martial arts, judo. Uh, but still, uh, you know, no indication that he's got some sort of a debilitating uh, disease, as much as many of his own countrymen would wish that he, too, might wind up with sort of a, a heart condition and uh, might uh, wind up being removed from, 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 his, uh, from his perch in the Kremlin or worse. You think he looks good? I mean, he looks terrible, doesn't he? Look all bloated. Well, he looks, you know, he's a 70-year-old Russian man. And, uh, you know, the average life expectancy for a Russian male, I'll tell you what, in the 90s, it was 57, if you can think about that. It hasn't inched up a whole lot since then. Uh, And even though, again, he's lived a relatively clean lifestyle, uh, he's probably um, suffering from, you know, all sorts of ailments. But none so debilitating, I don't think, based on the leadership analysts with whom I've spoken, that would lead to him to have some sort of cognitive uh, uh, implications on his cognitive abilities to run the country or physically uh, able to, to, you know, to lead Russia. Unfortunately, uh, I think we're in for the long haul in this war of attrition between uh, with Russia's just barbaric onslaught uh, raining down hell on Ukrainian civilians. This is on us now, the U.S. government. We're the arsenal for democracy. And we've got to give Ukraine what they need to end this war and end it as fast as possible. More than we get, either get them, give them everything. Don't give them some of what they need because it's just it, it's ended. It's the torturous way we, which we're doing it. Although we're writing big checks, if we did it all at once, they could strategize from what they knew they had. But we're not doing it that way. Yeah, we do need to. We look. We we should have been giving them more when Russia mapped all those troops back in April of 2021 is when we should have started giving Ukraine the military equipment that they needed. We've started to open the aperture now, but look at all of the civilian deaths uh, and look at now the, the, the challenge for Ukraine to retake so much of the territory that they have lost that they will now fight over. Uh, and meanwhile, again, Russia has, has targeted innocent Ukrainian civilians, hospitals, uh, a maternity ward, edu- you know, uh, schools and uh, and businesses in, in cities. And so President Zelensky has said, look, Russia is a band of terrorists and Ukraine is going to fight on. But our European partners have to be concerned about an approaching winter when in the past they've relied on Russian gas. And how long can they stay in the fight to continue to assist Ukraine? Uh, they've already seen a lot of protests on the street, but I wouldn't rule out that, that the Russian you know, intelligence services had some hand in, in kind of fomenting some of that uh, some of those uh, protests against uh, European governments. But, yes, we need to do better at this, and, uh, and and hopefully, you know, we'll get some congressional oversight now that the Congress is back in session. That will be, we need to find out that the weapons we're given is getting to the people that need it. Uh, the other thing is, Dan, is that we're, uh, Nord Stream 1 is going to be stopped. Nord Stream 2 doesn't exist. So Nord Stream 1 with natural gas flowing is going to be stopped. They said it's for, uh, for repairs, but we all know that's not true. So having said that, we're not doing enough to help out Europe with natural gas. They would write the checks. We have the fracking ability. Are we doing enough? Because I hear the president, uh, uh, the president of Germany was in, uh, the chancellor of Germany was, was in Canada uh, last weekend asking for right. more natural gas and basically got a stiff arm. Yeah, so that's certainly one thing that, the United States and our allies are going to have to work out. And I don't disagree with you at all on that. Look, Germany is, is, has turned around its policy on nuclear power. They're leaving some of their nuclear uh, power plants running, even though they had planned to shut them down as part of their uh, Green New Deal in Germany. But you're right. Look, it's part of increasing the supply 
uh, of natural gas. If, if otherwise, we're going to face some real issues with uh, European population support for the war against Russia. And Vladimir Putin is banking on just that, that we won't be able to stay in the fight, that he can win this war of attrition. He just wants to hang on through the winter, and he feels like that will give him an advantage, whereas obviously Ukraine wants to keep taking the fight to the enemy. And uh, we need this is a component of it. You know, the, the economic component, as you point out, is, is a key one. Uh, there's a couple other things. First off, are these Putin friendly oligarchs also meeting with some untimely deaths? And how do you make sense of that? So these are, you know, you're talking about the Luke oil, which which came out you know, after the war began and said it was tragic and that uh, that the war should be brought to a swift end. Uh, that's not a good way to stay alive in Russia. You know, Vladimir Putin doesn't like it when anyone criticizes uh, his military operations, his intelligence services. And so he's making it clear to the rest of Luke Oil, look, we're going to be a subservient junior partner to China. We're going to export our hydrocarbons there. Uh, we're going to make deals with Iran and, and with North Korea. And you people are just going to have to line up and do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, then I'm going to kill you. And I think what Vladimir Putin did, I would estimate with a high degree of confidence, you know, that these eight um, uh, these eight uh, kind of senior uh, business executives who were killed in the last six months, that's all a message, you know, to loop oil and to Gazprom just to get in line and do Vladimir Putin's bidding or else they're going to end up like, you know, Raviel Maganov. Uh, or some of the others. Time magazine has this story about a growing backlash against Russian tourists and dividing Europe because of the arrogance which they shown. We know that for some reason we let this Russian tennis player play, but they banned him in Wimbledon. We let him play here, and we ban uh, uh, Novak Djokovic because he's not vaccinated. How do you make sense of all these mixed messages? No, that's, you know, U.S. foreign policy, man. I was always glad when I was at CIA that we didn't do policy. We just recruited spies and stole secrets and left the policy to the State Department and the White House because, as you said, yeah, you wind up with some of those mixed messages. Uh, and when I was at CIA, we just kind of throw up our hands and go back to hitting the streets and, and, and doing our work, you know. But I, I wish I could explain it, Brian, but it's, it's just kind of the way of the U.S. government sometimes. Um, you know, it's, uh, I personally don't think we should be allowing Russian tourists to travel freely. Uh, the Estonians have, have, have banned them, and that's a good thing. But, you know, there isn't a, a consensus in Europe on that. And when it comes to tennis players coming to the United States, I wish that uh, Medvedev, one of their tennis players, Daniel Medvedev, I wish he would have stood up and said something about uh, Russia's barbaric invasion. But he knows he'd probably end up like those Luke Oil executives if he did. Russia, we, we lost our ambassador. He is now out, John Sullivan. Is there a story behind that? No, and I'll tell you something. He's a real hero. Um, he you know, was Deputy Secretary of State in the Trump administration, acting Secretary of State, uh, while Secretary Pompeo was being confirmed. And then he took the job, you know, thankless job to be ambassador to, to Russia, uh, facing all of the harassment that he did and then the drawdown. Uh, he, he recounted how he would walk around the uh, embassy and there'd just be rows and rows of empty uh, desks because we just didn't have the people there to do the work. Um, he, he, we should be, you know, thanking him for his exceptional service to our country. He's from my hometown of Boston, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. Uh, but, you know, he did a three-year tour in Moscow. God bless him for doing it. Uh, I, I hope he's able, you know, to get out uh, front a little bit um, in the media and talk about what it was like in Russia. He's a yeah. real student of, of Russia, and we need someone like that, uh, I think, 
right. telling us, that, uh, you know, about you know what or it was like to be there and how he sees it. Daniel Hoffman, thanks so much, former CIA station chief over in Moscow and other places. Thanks, Dan. Back in a moment, we go live on FBN. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's, uh, Ten minutes before the top of the hour. We'll do something on FBN shortly, and then it'll be so get on board, because right after I'm done with Stuart Varney's show, uh, we part ways, and I'll be able to squeeze in a few calls usually. So call one 408 Keep in mind, we've got a huge event coming up September 8th. That's this Thursday, 8 o'clock at the Egg in Albany. There's some tickets left, not many, but I hope to see you then. But let's listen in together now. Just coming up on, and it is now exactly 10.51 Eastern time. You know what that means. Brian Kilmeade joins us. All right, Brian. I'm sure you've seen this. I just want to show our viewers again. Armed robbers in New York City rammed their car into an SUV and took 20,000 bucks off the driver. Right there. Right in the middle of Manhattan. And it happened, Brian, in broad daylight on the Upper East Side. You know, it just doesn't seem to be getting any better in this city, does it? No, I mean, uh, the numbers are staggering. For example, this, this seems like a situation where they surveil the whole thing because $20,000 in a car, do you know anyone carrying around $20,000 these days? Even if you have it, you don't carry it. There's Venmo and there's, there's a thing called an ATM card. So this is something that was done, was choreographed. Number two, every outside murders... Everything is up in the city in terms of crime. So murders are down, shootings are down, but in terms of grand theft auto, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, assaults, in terms of robberies, uh, in terms of transit crime, it is all up. And what I'm saying now is talking about New York, but I could be talking about Philadelphia or Chicago or Memphis or any other major city in America. And that's really what this election should be about. Who's going to keep you safe? How are you going to keep most of your money? And these horrific things are playing out on camera like they never were before because of the ring doorbells, the surveillance on every uh, street corner. That's what happens in places like London and New York City where you have the money to get, to get the cameras, to get the surveillance. Brian, this is the day, Tuesday after Labor Day weekend, when most companies are telling workers, hey, you've got to come back to work. You've got to come back to the office. Well, are people coming back to their offices in New York City when you've got crime like that going on in the streets outside? Do we know? Are people back to the office today? I think there's three things happening. A lot of there's huge pushback. Uh, Major firms, major investment firms, really the people that watch Fox Business more than anything else, uh, they're saying you need you back at work. No more two days, I need you back at work. And they're saying, number one, I think some of them are lazy. Number two, some of them uh, are COVID, still COVID crazy. And number three, I think they're, they're worried about crime. So COVID, go see a therapist. It's done. Number three, when it comes to crime, uh, you've got some legitimate concerns where people are not going to feel comfortable getting on uh, a subway because transit crime is up. But the good, and I, evidently, we're only 60% of where we were in 2019 in terms of people hopping on buses and trains. So I know this. I'm on uh, – I go to Penn Station three days a week usually when I'm not working late. And I notice I have never, even on primetime rush hour, I'm never looking for a seat. I always find one. It never used to be the case. You were lucky to stand some. Sometimes you wait for the next train in tw- up until 2019. So wow. there's still – and when I go on subways here in, in our building, I notice it's never crowded like it used to. And people no, are citing right. crime. And I, how do you fight the stats? 
Right. Sometimes you're the only person on the elevator these days. And that's that's right. a difference. That's a real change. Uh, I was watching Fox and Friends this morning, Brian, and I heard you say that California banning the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. You say that is flat-out criminal the way California is treating oil and gas companies. Make it flat-out criminal? It's an all-above-strategy. That's what we need. Can you imagine if I said for now on the only way we're going to fly around is uh, jetpacks? And the only way we're, and we're going to get to the moon. If we don't get to the moon, the, the technology is not there for jetpacks. The technology is not there to go to the moon for everybody. Are we on a road? Yes. That's why you need all of the above. To tell everyone making combustion engines that they're out of business. To tell everyone that you're going to get to work, you're going to get to through your life. On, uh, on electric cars, when the technology is not there, when it's powered by coal, and when the innovation and the material needed is in China, that is anti-American. It is not in our national interest to be relying on China for anything. That is why this chips deal is interesting, because Vietnam is getting a lot of it. India is getting more of the manufacturing from Apple and from Google and other places. But now you're going to go, give me lithium, China? Give me all the coal, give me cobalt, give me all the necessary elements to build a battery yeah. that's going to be more expensive that we can't get rid of, that to me is criminal. It's against our country's best interest. I don't care about anything about the country. I don't care about industry. If Gavin Newsom puts on gel every day and wants to be president when every decision he makes in California is making his state worse. This is why everyone's leaving, and we don't need it nationally. 17 states will follow in his way, right. and that is criminal. I'm glad you got it off your chest there, Brian, because I entirely agree with you. Thank Mr. you. Mr. Kilmeade, I must thanks be for right being here. See, yeah, right. Uh, still ahead. Look what we've got. So there you go. one uh, 866 And by the way, what I was talking about, Glenn Youngkin's already done. Glenn Youngkin evidently said that when he came in, there was a plan in place to have Virginia go along with what California decided. That means 2035 banning the sale of combustion engines or anything we're looking at oil and gas. They don't drill like they should. Do you know, and I I couldn't believe this stat. The Wall Street Journal had a story yesterday that uh, popped up in my alerts, and I thought, wow, it's interesting. On Memorial Day, excuse me, on Labor Day, something like that popped on my, uh, my alerts. And they talked about energy and oil and gas. Do you know this administration goes, oh, we're pumping oil and we're doing things and I'm releasing, of, of, I'm giving leases away for exploration and I give these leases out, but these guys aren't, uh, aren't using them and I'm going to take them away if they don't use them? Do you know that Biden has okayed fewer, fewer federal oil leases than any president who has been president since World War II? Just 126,000 acres. Offshore drilling leases are down 97% from the first 18 months of President Trump. Do you know that if you look at all leases together in what Biden has done, he's 3.2% of what Eisenhower did. Do you realize we, I don't even think we had offshore drilling when Eisenhower was president. This guy is bringing oil and gas to its knees. You need oil for our computers. You need oil to make jeans. You need oil to fuel your cars. And now you're telling the one state that's going oil, going full electric, that don't plug in your cars over the weekend because of the rolling blackouts in California. I am talking about California. They want us to go, they want to go all electric, but they can't even charge their cars that make up 2% of the total car population. That to me is irresponsible. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, where if you listen close, you could hear illegal immigrants being dropped off at Port Authority. Uh, Miranda Devine is standing by. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Brett worked on Labor Day. Did you see that, Allison? Brett was doing a live special report on Labor Day. Does he get time and a half, do you know? Because I would have taken that offer if we were, if they were giving me time and a half, I would have done it. You do need the money. Right. I'm, I'm basically out. Uh, but, okay, Eric, great job editing because even my brother thought we were live on Monday. Nice. Right. So he was found it. Was he Eric sitting with you listened? at the time? Uh, yeah. He goes, oh, good show today. Did you do the show? I go, no, I didn't do the show. So it was kind of weird. But it's good that, to know people were not, you know, easily duped. Agreed. And that your brother doesn't know your schedule so intricately right. that he knew that, you know, right. thought you were working. We, we barely keep in touch. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have that uh, uh, laptop uh, in the uh, Department of Justice and FBI for months and months before anybody knows it existed. Uh, That's why total transparency is important. I would think so. Uh, that was Chuck Grassley. The plot thickens. The soon-to-be-disgraced FBI agent Tim Timbolt was Tony Bobulinski's point man of the spiked Hunter Biden story. And the big guy, you know, the international finance scam. Few knew about President Biden's role, uh, more about President Biden's role than Tony Bobulinski. And guess what? His contact was the guy that they told us had no contact with this whole plot. Number two. That's a potentially explosive ruling if it holds. The Justice Department assumed that Trump only had attorney-client privilege, that he did not have executive privilege. But the problem is it's it's not 100% settled. Right. Andy McCarthy seems kind of stunned. Uh, Trump gets his wish and a special master is named to review what was taken from his Mar-a-Lago home. As we learned, the FBI took his medical records, tax information, and even rifled through Barron's room. Does that sound okay with you? Number one. The definition of democracy is you accept the will of the people when the votes are honestly counted. These guys don't do it. Mm-hmm. To this day, MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol and people died later. Right. Joe Biden, of course, referring to Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton, who says she was robbed and had the election stolen. And Stacey Abrams, who insists she never lost the governor's race. But she did. No, I guess he was meaning Donald Trump. Remarkable, divisive, angry speeches one after another. Joe Biden thinks that's the way to keep the House and Senate. I'm not sure that's going to add up. Uh, let's bring in Miranda Devine, New York Post columnist, author of Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets of the President. Tried to, they tried to hide. Miranda, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. You didn't ever stop working. I read you on Sunday. I couldn't wait to talk to you today on Tuesday about what you found out uh, about what is going on with uh, Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden and this in uh, this investigation. Do you want to expand on what you found? Yeah, sure. Look, it's quite shocking. We already knew, uh, thanks to the whistleblowers that have very courageously come forward to Chuck Grasley and Ron Johnson, the Republican senators. But uh, what we now have found out and what I reported on uh, in Monday's paper is that uh, Timothy Tebow, who is the disgraced FBI agent named by the whistleblowers as having suppressed Uh, the Hunter Biden information that came to the FBI before the 2020 election, he actually was in charge 
of Tony Bobulinski's material. He was the point man appointed by the FBI to manage Tony Bobulinski, who was probably the most crucial whistleblower when it came to the Hunter Biden material. Nothing to do with the laptop, but Tony Bobulinski had been the business partner of Hunter Biden, uh, and he knew that Joe Biden was involved with uh, this deal in China, this multi-million dollar deal with China that was detrimental to America's national interest. And Tony Bobulinski, being a patriot, being a naval veteran, much decorated, uh, having top secret security clearances from um, the NSA and from the Department of Energy, he decided to stand up before the election. He gave a press conference a couple of weeks before uh, the election and he told what he knew. He said that the big guy was Joe Biden. He knew that because that was the way that Hunter Biden and his business partners, including Tony Bobulinski, used to refer to Joe Biden because they didn't want to mention him by name because he was central to this corrupt influence peddling program that the Bidens had been prosecuting throughout the world during Joe Biden's vice presidency. And Joe Biden was fully aware of it. He was involved in it, even though he lied to the American people. And I don't say the word lie lightly. There is just overwhelming evidence to show that Joe Biden lied when he said during the election campaign that he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. We know that he met the days after major uh, business uh, meetings that he had overseas from Romania to Kazakhstan to Ukraine to China with the vice president at the time. Uh, with his business partner. We know that his business partner also was talking about who gets what when it terms to Joe Biden's taxes and Hunter Biden uh, getting paid or reimbursed for things that he did or didn't do. But you talk about Bobulinski very interestingly. So Bobulinski has this news 10 days before the election. And when the FBI goes to see him, because they realize they can't really deny him with that type of background, he goes to see him. They want him to go to a secret entrance. And when he goes in there, he talks to two agents and they got hands off to another two agents. But when he's done, he was given the cell phone of of uh, Tim Tebold and said, that's be your appointment from here on in. Now, wait a second. His lawyer told us last week, Miranda Devine uh, did uh, uh, Tim Tebold. That uh, that he was that was the Baltimore office doing the investigation of Hunter Biden, but he never denies or, or brings up Tony Bobulinski interaction, does he? No, I, I think uh, it's very curious. Tim Tebow, who abruptly resigns from the FBI last week uh, because he's now in the hot seat. Chuck Grasley has named him thanks to his whistleblowers. We also had Christopher Ray go before the Senate and say that he was deeply troubled by uh, the revelations about Tim Tebow, who not only has been alleged to bury uh, Hunter Biden material, but also uh, was in trouble under the Hatch Act for some very anti-Trump, very partisan political tweets that he'd made. Uh, so he, Tim Tebow resigns. That means, of course, that any um, Inspector General investigation that might be going going on ends there because the Inspector General has no jurisdiction over former agents. Of course, he'll keep his entire very generous pension, which I'm estimating is at least $80,000. And so Tim Tebow got his lawyer, a pro bono lawyer, Uh, That means for free. He's getting legal assistance for free from an enormous international law firm whose um, attorneys charge $1,000 an hour. But 
Thibault's getting this for free. His, his lawyer issued this statement saying that he had nothing to do with the supervising the investigation of Hunter Biden because that's been handled by the Baltimore field office. And also the statement denied that he had any, anything to do with the laptop. But he doesn't mention anything to do with Bobolinsky. Bobolinsky is separate to the laptop. He doesn't have anything to do with the laptop. His emails are on the laptop. He's CC'd into the big guy uh, email on the laptop that allocates 10% of a big Chinese deal to Joe Biden. But he was not involved in the laptop or anything to do with uh, with its discovery, its abandonment uh, in Delaware. It's a- so he's come to the FBI separately, voluntarily, with bombshell information, even worse than the laptop, really. I mean, it corroborates what's on the laptop, but here is a highly credible witness who is authenticating what's on the laptop and has extra material, including the fact he met with Joe Biden. And I know you have the laptop from Helen. I'm not going to say anything bad about that. But as you mentioned, Tony Bobulinski is one-stop shopping. You, if you just had Bobolinsky and all his emails and he turned over his phone and all the yeah. correspondence and all the, the numbers and the text messages, you don't even need the laptop to understand Joe Biden's involvement in it. And the way he went under oath, went for five hours to the FBI, went to the Senate Intelligence Committee, went to Ron Johnson, went to Grassley, then up yeah. pops these at least 12 FBI agents that outed you. So if you say, I don't want to affect the election, but this is a real story. But instead, they not only froze the story, they said it was classic Russian disinformation information, which they know is a lie. And if if, uh, Tim Tim Tebow said that, that is nothing short of a lie. So he and Bobolinsky never went in front of the grand jury. How could you do a legitimate now four year investigation and not bring in the guy that was the business partner of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Jim Biden and not bring him in and find out what he had to say with his background, who's given to both Democrats and Republicans, internationally, uh, international business person who has served in the military as an officer and has the highest level of security clearance. Joe Biden has never been asked this question. Do you know Tony Bobolinsky? What do you think he would say to that? He'd probably lie because he lies about everything. He's lied about this story uh, and he gets away with it. Um, He doesn't make himself available for interviews except to friendlies and they never ask these questions. I mean, you have to realise if you search CNN for Tony Bobolinsky's name, it doesn't exist. He doesn't exist for half of the country. They don't know who he is. He is... He is a guy who is so honourable, he thought that he would take his information to the FBI and they would do something about it. They had it 11 days before the election. He had a five and a half hour interview in Washington, D.C. at the Washington field office. He went there. Uh, He also handed over the contents of three of his phones. The FBI had that, just like they had the laptop from December 2019, and it just fell into the same black hole uh, as the laptop, all of Tony Bobolinsky's material. And, you know, in the interest of national security, it was the duty of the FBI to investigate this very credible evidence from a very credible inside witness whistleblower, which suggested that Joe Biden candidate for president may have been compromised by China at the very least with the millions of dollars that was paid to his family. And the FBI buried this story. They have not done the investigation. You mentioned the grand jury, which has been running for four years. 
into Hunter Biden over tax evasion, money laundering. Yeah, that is the biggest joke. Can you imagine a four-year investigation when you have everything out there, including information? Where is all this money, by the way? Where is this money? Is it in, in, in that mansion or that compound that Joe Biden, a career senator, made $200,000 a year his entire life? Is it in there? Where is this nine million? Where is this zillion dollars? Why is he living uh, in the spare room of a billionaire in Malibu, Hunter Biden? Did he actually did he actually uh, spend it on crack or hookers or both? But a lot of the money went to his family. So I I have to find the last fifty dollars I have for my taxes. I don't understand. How does he get away with it? Well, you know, he had to pay two point eight. A million dollars in back taxes to try and get out of this um, grand jury investigation, this this uh, probe by the U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware, um, and 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 you know a lot of that money we know basically went up in smoke, literally because he smoked so much crack um, during these years. It, it was very expensive. He was very wasteful with money. Um, he hid money. He hid diamonds from his his mother, his wife. He was going through a divorce. Um, but we also know uh, just a, a tiny bit of information from the laptop that he was paying some of his father's maintenance bills at Joe Biden's mansion in Delaware, um, things like building a retaining wall or fixing shutters or fixing air conditioning. Uh, we know that he and his father had shared finances, they co-mingled finances, they shared bank accounts. Um, so, you know, I, that, that's why you need to have proper investigators with subpoena power, with the ability to look into bank accounts and follow the money trail. Um, And that's not been happening. I mean, the FBI, whatever's going on in Delaware, the fact that they, that grand jury did not call the star witness, Tony Bobolinsky, just... It says it all. Why did Tony Bobolinsky not testify? We we know that at least one of the witnesses before the grand jury last year was asked, "Who is the big guy?" And the guy, the person who knows that is Tony Bobolinsky, and he was willing to testify. Uh, it's outrageous. There is a cover up, and I think with all these things, the cover up ends up being just as bad a story. As the original story. I want you to hear Chuck Grassley, Cut 18. We have that uh, uh, laptop uh, in the uh, Department of Justice and FBI for months and months before anybody knows it existed. And we're told that uh, there were people said, don't touch the uh, laptop. Are they an enforcement agency or aren't they? Are they using political bias or not? Uh, That's why total transparency is important. And lastly, New York Post and editorial today calling on Christopher Wray to be responsible for this. Where was he this entire time? If it wasn't his fault, does he ever discover anything that you don't write in a book or that isn't discovered by the Senate? If he's supposed to investigate crime and stop the next terror attack, he can't even he can't even get a hold of what's happening in his own building. Final thought? Well, Christopher Ray is definitely culpable, but he's not interested in talking or being transparent. He ran away the last time he was called uh, to the Senate last month, um, really disrespectfully told them that he had to get somewhere on his private jet. Well, the somewhere that he had to get to on the FBI's private jet paid by ta- paid for by taxpayers was going on holidays in the Adirondacks. So um, he has zero credibility. All he does is stonewall. Um, if, if he didn't know about this cover-up, he should be tearing the agency 
a part and making heads Absolutely. roll. Absolutely, if he cared. And he doesn't. If he cared, no. Marina, uh, I, we have so much to go over, but thanks for leading the charge here. I mean, you hit, keep hitting the, moving this story with facts, not opinion, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. 1-866-408-7669. Bottom of the hour, Brett Bear. But next, I want to get your opinion on this. And, of course, top of the hour, I'm on Outnumbered. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'll be taking your calls by Brett Baer on shortly. But Miranda Devine, I mean, to to think that this one newspaper that had their Twitter account and their Facebook account and everything suspended is still moving this story forward and that CNN has one reporter come out and tweet something that Hunter Biden has legitimate questions about Hunter Biden that need to be answered. And I'm just paraphrasing it. And Sarah Seidner, and she's gotten blitz. What happened to CNN? I'm watching CNN whole site change. Are they going to place Anderson Cooper with Rick Santorum? I'm going, whoa, 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 what just happened? What's going on here? She didn't even get the story. Most people that follow the Hunter Biden story are only following Hunter Biden outside this channel. But the story is not Hunter Biden. He is at the head of a family that is cutting these deals with these countries and doing it, and we're exposed because this crack addict dropped a laptop off, and they also had a whistleblower in Tony Bobulinski come forward and say, I've been doing these deals with these guys, and I'm coming forward because they double-crossed me in the middle of doing these deals. I realized they were double-dealing on me, and they're trading on the country, and he's fundamentally a patriot who's been an officer in the military, a Penn State wrestler, who already made enough money. Uh, He doesn't need the money. He wanted to do the right thing, and everyone ignored him. So he's wondering, wow, did I just risk my reputation for that? Brett Baer next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Not every Republican is a MAGA Republican. Not every Republican embraces that extreme ideology. I know because I've been able to work with mainstream Republicans my whole career. But the extreme MAGA Republicans in Congress have chosen to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. The biggest contrast from what MAGA Republicans, the extreme right, the, 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 the Trumpies, they want to go to Congress. These MAGA Republicans in Congress are coming for your Social Security as well. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, Donald Trump ran on that. Uh, I'm going to take away your Social Security and your Medicare and vote for me. Um, who's with me? I'm pretty sure that was it. Uh, Brett Baer, chief political anchor of Fox News, anchor of Special Report, joins us now. Uh, Brett, you working on Monday, so I know exactly what's important to you. Um, work. <laughs> Uh, and I also know your area of priorities. What about this strategy that the president's been putting forward in this blood red speech on Thursday and then the one over the weekend where it's about MAGA, ultra MAGA and Trumpers, uh, Trumpists or whatever he calls them, uh, Trumpies. 
So is this the strategy that's going to be effective for him? Or do you think that the story is true, that he's pushed back on his people that think it's a bad idea? Yeah, that's what we're hearing is that, uh, you know, he's going full in on this. And there is some skepticism about it in that half of America may not, you know, identify directly as MAGA Republicans, but they, they did identify with MAGA policies. And so you start crossing the streams here and people get confused. And uh, for a guy who said he's a uniter, um, this is fairly dividing. Now, you can go all that's what the critics are saying. That's what you know, that it's not going to work. They've determined in the inner circle and President Biden that this is where they're going. And that's one of the pitches they're going to make. Here's what we did legislatively. And here's the bad guys that you can't let get in office because they're a threat to democracy. I think that, um, you know, if you're going to go down that road, you have to sit down for some interviews. You have to do a press conference. This president has not had a one-on-one interview with a journalist in more than 200-something days. He has not had a press conference in a long time. Here or there, a screamed-out question that he answers. But if you look at the modern presidents, he is way behind answering questions from journalists or in a formal or even informal press conference. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's uh, there's so many things to go over, but he hasn't done it. He's had signing ceremonies, had COVID for th- uh, two or three times. Uh, then he goes on vacation more time than I think anybody else in history. Any Any recent president. More times out of the White House than any recent president. Think about this. You try 40 years to become president. You finally become president, you don't want to be there. It makes absolutely no sense. And you go going, what, 10 miles away in Delaware or a few train rides? Um, uh, it makes it, – it's crazy. But for, the, for, the, for Joe Biden, it's very interesting because he wants to run against Donald Trump in the midterms. And we'll see if that works. The one thing that might not be working, he liked – you know, Michael Goodwin came out and he's a columnist. He said he firmly believes that the whole raid is released is, uh, on Mar-a-Lago is linked – to this whole MAGA push, ultra MAGA push, and trying to isolate uh, Donald Trump's and, and try to split the Republican Party. There's no proof of, proof certain of that yet, but it does seem to be somewhat coordinated, even though the president said he wasn't even briefed on it. What I also what I also find interesting is that on the Mar-a-Lago raid, what's developed there, and it looks as though the special master is going to be in place. I'm sure appeal will happen, but there's going to be a delay. And if the delay happens before we talk about what the judge said. Does that get inside 60 days? Does that put everything on ice? Well, I mean, that's their ultimate goal is to do things, you know, well before an election, or so they said, uh, in the wake of, you know, 2016 and what happened with the FBI and that investigation. Um, it, it does slow things down. And, you know, you have to find a special master who can handle the most top secret um, documents. And that's, you know, a fairly small pool of people. I don't think that uh, Barack Obama is on the list, but he's somebody who could do it. Um, I'm joking. But he uh, yeah. I, I think, listen, it does probably push things back. And I do think that the DOJ is going to appeal this on a number of fronts uh, for all the pundits who were out there saying this is ridiculous. Why are they even bothering? It's so unnecessary. There's no way a judge will approve this. And then. Here we are. Now they're lambasting the judge, saying that she's in Trump's pocket, appointed by Trump. 
you know, it's it's a crazy circle of punditry. Uh, the bottom line is it's going to take a little bit longer. One thing is pretty came pretty clear out of the hearing. Executive privilege does matter and attorney client privilege does matter. So the significance of that is matters a lot. OK, this is top, this is top secret or this is confidential. Yeah, but uh, um, executive privilege does matter, according to this judge and maybe the special master. The other thing that came to light is the well, president. Let me just point out one thing, Brian, and that is that, you know, the, the classification thing, these are still potentially documents that the government owns. The former president doesn't own them. So there is this, you know, thing about the line of classified and executive privilege. Yeah, a lot of executive privilege legal theory has not been tested. And, and there, it may be tested soon. And believe it or not, in the Steve Bannon case, that may an appeal go all the way to the Supreme Court. And even Justice Kavanaugh just recently suggested there are many things the Supreme Court should probably weigh in on on executive privilege. So that whole thing is right. not over, but the documents themselves really do belong to the government under the presidential Absolutely. Record. And to me, for now on, National Archives, uh, two lawyers on both sides should be meeting before one page leaves the White House from here on in. This is totally avoidable. I don't think the president should have taken him. Maybe he's got reasons for it. They should have turned him over and co- cooperated right away. I'll give you all that. But having yeah. said that, do you need to go into Barron's room or uh, Melania's closet? Do you need to take the no. president's medical records? Do you need to take his passports? And do you need to take his uh, tax documents, all of which he claims is gone? Now, the passports, they said he lied. Well, they, they both said, sorry, we took him by mistake. You're there for nine hours. You got your vetting team, and you still left with all his stuff. So come on, no, it's guys. Messy. I agree. And it's horrible. And they have to explain that action. And and that's, you know, on the beginning, the action of uh, President Trump and those aides who take the stuff out or pack it and it goes. And then on the back end, what leads to this raid and how it's conducted and the fallout from it. I agree, Brian. It's a total, total mess. Right. Um, again, it's a, it's unforced error for the president who knows he's under incredible scrutiny and wants to run again. You want to play the perfect game. That's not the way Donald Trump runs it. But if you saw the emotion and the packed crowd in Pennsylvania, he doesn't seem to have lost any followers. I don't know if there's another politician can do what he does with crowds and passion uh, that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I don't care if he gets if even if it's 40 percent, I've never seen the, the passion like this before in any candidate. Real quick. On one of the, th- the accusations that they're accusing Trump of, listen to Corinne Jean-Pierre, Cut24. We were in a place where, uh, again, schools were not open. It shows you how mismanaged uh, the pandemic was uh, and how the impact of that mismanagement had on, the ch- on, on kids' progress and academic well-being. I was stunned when that was one of the accusations on Trump when all he asked for after the two weeks to slow the spread or 10 days he wanted to get these schools open and how the pushback was so uh, uh, so overt and they kept saying it's irresponsible. Now they're saying Donald Trump shut the schools down and that's the reason why the kids' uh, success is, is, so, uh, is so curtailed. But listen to this ad that Democrats ran in 2020. Desperate to reopen schools because he thinks it will save his re-election. We have to open the schools. Critical shortage of PPE. Threatening their funding. When they don't open their schools, we're not going to fund them. Ignoring how the virus spreads, risking teachers and parents' lives, going against the advice of experts. It's had very little impact on young people. Do you trust him? 
You can't have it both ways. You can't blame him no. for keeping the clues closed shut and then vilify him in 2020 for trying to open up the schools. No, it's really stunning, and it's um, political jujitsu yeah. trying to turn the whole thing around, but they forget that we have videotape. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, it is – you can't go back to that time and say the Democrats were pushing to open schools. No, they were siding with the teachers union and the teachers union was steering CDC guidelines almost word for word that came out in multiple stories. And so if you look back at all the clips and we could play it for a half an hour, uh, not only candidate Joe Biden, but other Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, others uh, saying how, you know, this was, the threat that they can't go back to school and this is what we have to deal with. And then Fauci saying there is not irreparable harm to Neil Cavuto just recently. And then the very next week, this study comes out about the irreparable harm that's already been done uh, to students back 30 years of progress as far as um, education. So I, I just don't think people are buying that, even though uh, the White House press secretary says it. I just don't think that that's going to sell. And that's not going to be something that any Democrat runs on on the campaign trail, I guarantee you. They uh, will run on Roe v. Wade. They will run on threat to democracy. But I would be very surprised if anybody takes that bone that was thrown by the White House last week. Uh, tonight you have Dr. Oz on. According to 538, he's trailing by eight. I know you do your own research for this. I don't believe there's an eight-point difference between the two. They're so dramatically different. If he was dealing with a moderate candidate, not Fetterman, coming off a stroke, who is Bernie Sanders in a hoodie, I'm saying to myself, you know, maybe there is. But to me, the people of Pennsylvania, the ultimate purple state, how could they be siding with someone so far to the left and against a guy that's so familiar to the entire country because he's had this successful syndicated show for all this time? Because uh, the Fetterman campaign spent a lot of money on the pre-Labor Day ads, and they had uh, outside groups bombarding, you know, the whole New Jersey theme and got Snooky to do a little New Jersey thing, and it took off. And then the crudite, you know, video that Dr. Oz did, they jumped on that, and they had a lot of spending. Well, after Labor Day, Republican spending picks up. Outside groups pick up. You know, endorsers step up. Uh, Senator Pat Toomey, alongside Dr. Oz today, uh, questioning Fetterman's ability to debate. There are vulnerabilities for Oz, however, and we'll get into some of those today. But we're going to talk about the substance and what the policies are that he's pushing and uh, some of the things Fetterman's going after him on. We asked the lieutenant governor to come on. We have not received a response. We've offered town halls and debates. We have not received a response. Uh, Oz is coming on, so fair and balanced. This is really a Tuesday for Brett. For me, it feels like a Monday, but you work Monday because you needed the money. Let's be honest. It's time and a <laughs> half, Brett. somebody a day off. <laughs> Brett Fair, thanks so much. Watch it tonight. All right, when we come back, uh, I'm going to see if the, you need to know more, and then I'm going to go scramble up to outnumbered Brian Kilmeade Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Top of the hour. I'm going to be on Outnumbered on Fox News Channel. I hope you watch. I'll be sitting in the middle. Uh, we have a lot of exciting things to talk about there, but I'm just looking at my watch. I realize you need to know more. More to know. 
Luke Combs said a really cool thing. Not only is he a great new country singer, but he paid back young fans who brought their own tickets to the show. So this guy, Bo Fenderson, he's 12 years old, and his friend Tanner stacked five cords of wood in order to pay for their own tickets to, in Bangor, Maine, for a concert that Luke Combs was giving. They made 100 bucks, stacking five cords of wood, uh, bought two Luke Combs tickets. Um, he's Our dad, he says... Man, he sounds good. Our dad swore it was a waste of time, but they were wrong. Today's my 12th birthday, and he put up a sign that said this. Today's my 12th birthday. Oh, Lord, when it rains, it pours. And that's these are takeoffs on Luke, uh, Luke Combs' songs. Combs spotted the sign during his Friday show, sat down on the stage, pulled out $140 out of his wallet to pay the kids back for their tickets. How much are your tickets, he said? 100 200 You paid 200 How about 100 bucks a piece? Oh, my God, I got 140 right here. We wait, uh, pay yourselves back, I'll get you some more, and told him to come backstage after. That is so cool, isn't it? No, that's fantastic. And um, sort of to your point that you heard earlier on the show about Varney with the car crash with 20 grand, you're like, who carries 20 grand? If uh, Luke Holmes only has a 40, 140 bucks in his wallet, <laughs> no one I know. does that. Nobody does. With Venmo now, especially, no, no one does no one uh, ever. And now, but you feel so bad, too, when you come to the valet parking oh. or someone helps you out to, no, I know. You have to actually and carry what do it. I do? Smaller, uh, you ask me for money. Thank you. Which is why I make sure I have it. And prior. I never pay you back. Half the time, but it's fine. It's really all good. Um, Next. Yes. San Francisco School District, guess how bad it's getting. are asking parents to rent out spare rooms to teachers because the teachers get paid so little they can't afford the soaring housing costs. The average price of a one-bedroom apartment then went up 11% to $3,000 a month uh, in San Francisco. That's why no one wants to live there anymore. San Francisco has got this great history. They've asked parents with spare rooms to consider renting out to teachers. Uh, this unified school district, which spans the edge of Silicon Valley to San Jose to Fremont, employs 941 people, but they are struggling to keep teachers because of the scarcity of affordable housing. That's pathetic. Teachers in the district earn from sixty-seven to 111000 That's really not too bad for teachers, though, right? I mean, because you really work nine months a year. True, but when the cost of living is so high, but if like all of these people in San Francisco are working for Silicon Valley, why don't they figure out ways to pay the teachers more? Absolutely, that's a good point, uh, especially with inflation. Landlords require more uh, that a tenant earns more 40 times monthly uh, than they earn. So when you write down and you fill out that application to get an apartment, if your rent doesn't add up, uh, if your money doesn't add up, the apartment uh, super can't rent to you almost. Or they want someone to co-sign. This, I mean, who's still moving to San Francisco at these prices, though? That's I know. my question. Wait, we've got trades of the 49ers. What are you going to do? I mean, then you probably can afford an apartment. Oh, good point. Next, NBA superstar LeBron James and uh, uh, Drake and Future, the rappers, and James' business partner Maverick Carter reportedly being sued for $10 million after allegedly stealing intellectual property rights to a film about the segregated hockey league Black Players in Canada entitled Black Ice. The lawsuit filed in Manhattan, says... Um, Hunter holds the suit. Uh, this guy, Billy Hunter, used to lead the NBA Players Association. I know him. He's uh, sharing. He's seeking shared profits for the film as well as $10 million in damages. While the defendants, LeBron, Drake, and Maverick, are internationally known and renowned, their respective fields of basketball music it does not afford them the right to steal, they say. Hunter goes on further to say that a deal was made behind, behind his back between the accused defendants and the authors of the book, Black Eyes, the Lost History of the Colored Hockey League. Of the Maritimes, I don't know the de- I don't know the backstory, but you got to feel as though this guy's got something to go on. You don't take on LeBron and which being, you know, and this powerful mogul if you don't think you got something. 
Or you just hope they're going to settle out of court and you're going to get something. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's true. But Billy Hunter is in the middle of a bunch of strikes, so he does have a pretty good name himself. Next, Governor Gavin Newsom uh, signs a landmark fat. We just talked about this fast food uh, fast food workers bill, despite concern of it driving up costs. This bill is called AB 257, created a 10 member fast food counts with equal members. Numbers of workers, delegates, employees, representatives, along with two state officials, empowered to set minimum standards standards for fast food workers. The law caps minimum wage increases for fast food workers at chains more than 100 restaurants at $22 an hour, compared to a statewide minimum $15.50 an hour with an average cost of living. Who are you to do this? I mean, if you're fast food, you have a certain balance sheet. Now you got to go do it. What they're saying is we're not going to stop building fast food restaurants. Or they're just going to automate the process, so you're going to employ fewer and fewer people. I know. You know, I told you, Ruby Tuesdays, I walked in, no one walked up to me. They said, your, your thing is like, a, like the old jukebox. You just touch it all, you order it all, no interaction at all, only to deliver the food. Did you get what you wanted? Yeah. <laughs> so it gets okay. Do you still I, have to tip. They still wanted me to tip. Yes. I did. Generously. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.